Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Ranamic. Berto Willis, your host. Yes, we are one hour late. In other words, instead of 3 o'clock central time, we came on 4 o'clock central time. Why was that? I had an interview uh, with the, the only slot that they had at a Spanish radio, or Spanish uh, TV station. I'm going to be on air on Saturday, so they had to do the pre-taping. And my slot kind of interfered with this slot. And as it turns out, we ended early enough that I could have started the program almost on time. But I didn't want to take the chance and start a program and not be here. So anyhow, folks, welcome to Politics Done Right. I hope all our folks that are normally here at 3 o'clock are able to uh, join in. I don't know if uh, I left a message on the page to let folks know that we're going to change the time just for today, but I don't know if everybody got that. So if that's okay, we'll go ahead and get busy with the program. Nanette Bird-Smith. Yeah, the interview went well. It was completely Spanish, but here, what's, what's the funny thing about it? I'm here since 1979, so... Uh, from a Spanish country, speak English and Spanish in the country, come here, mostly speaking English. Every now and then I forget a few words here and there, but you know what? That's not a problem. Anyhow, folks, we have a great, great, great show for you today. We have a hell of a interview. It's uh, It ran a little bit longer than no- our normal interviews, but I just kind of love the woman that we interviewed, and we had a healthy conversation, and I want to bring that to you. So what we're going to do is go ahead and get busy rather quickly. So let's go ahead first of all and tell you what the program is going to be about today. Vamos a ver que vamos a hacer. Say what? This listen to this Republican. He is actually sounding like ah, I think I better take over what those progressives are doing because they're sounding pretty good in their attack against Donald Trump and all the bad things that he does. And number 2 is going to be the futurist the futurist discusses what government must do for COVID economy. Futurist Rebecca Costa suggests measures the government must take for COVID relief. A Republican politician says this is this on conservatism. Interestingly, uh, the, the discussion that we were supposed to have, the discussion we were supposed to have with um, Rebecca was supposed to be those four issues. It turns out that Rebecca had some interesting topics on trade and, and, and what I would call a sort of capitalism. And I really wanted to pick her brain on it. And she did not disappoint. I really, really enjoyed the conversation with her. But before we get started, I want to start bringing up a few things. Let's go ahead and start with Say What, that Republican guy. So let's go ahead and get busy. Nice guy, but check this out. All I can say is, wow, I just had a Say What moment listening to a former congressman tell a story, reinvent a party, reinvent the definitions. I want you to check this out, and then let's take it on the other side. I just want to read you some of the reactions from some senators yesterday after watching the footage. Mike Rounds have continued to say that it is not constitutional to impeach and convict a former president. Ted Cruz, the result of this trial is preordained. Rick Scott, he's never said when somebody should break in. He actually said that people should do this peacefully. And then Roy Blunt, you have a summer where people all over the country were doing similar kinds of things. Is that the rationale that will be the dominant strain? And is this proof that many minds probably weren't changed? Yes, they're reflecting their voters, Chuck. Yeah, I heard some of this, and I can't imagine after what we saw in the Capitol that we've gone to quibbling. We're going to quibble on this type of stuff. We have something much bigger happening here. We're talking about if our boots are shiny enough. Oh, that's sort of ridiculous. But I feel like it's almost like Jamie and Joe and the impeachment managers are actually making a case for conservatism. And let me explain this way. 
it seems like they're the ones that are saying we should conserve the republic. We should conserve the Western sort of institutions, really civilization, that we should conserve the, the constitutional law that we live under, that we should conserve the peaceful transfer of power. I've never seen anything like it. If you're saying you're a Republican, a constitutional Republican, a constitutional conservative, the argument from Jamie, from Joe, from the impeachment managers, all of that looks like to me, like it's what a real Republican would say in prote- protecting our institutions. I just find it amazing that you're looking at all this evidence and you're absolutely somehow still quibbling about whether it's constitutional when he's already been impeached. And I'll just say this last thing about listening to Donna. We had a minimum of seven white nationalist groups that were involved in the siege. Seven. A minimum. I'm appalled by this, but it's amazing to see the arguments by the impeachment managers. Let's get this clear. Conservative. You know, that is a problem with many conservatives. They believe that somehow they're more Americans and somehow they want to maintain these structures that we have evolved towards over time. No, I'm sorry. He should be saying those are the progressive values. That is what we're fighting for. By the way, conservative under his parlance would mean starving people. Conservative under his parlance doesn't believe in Medicare for all and the policies that help maintain the structures that we have. If you get a degeneration in society, you lose your structures. And that is what their policies do. If you doubt it, you should take at the public policy and health in the Trump era, a report by the, the, the Lancet that points out how destructive, how destructive their policies have to boil. The, the gall with which to say that the conservative argument is being put together by a whole bunch of progressives out of the, the, the Congress is appalling. But let's take this one step further. Any senator who saw that presentation, and by the way, a lot of that presentation they should have seen already over newscasts throughout the country. But any senator who saw that put together chronologically and does not have the heart to say, we need to convict this president, so that any other president who attempts to do this, he or she knows that they will be penalized, it is saying that you don't support what your constitution stands for, and it says that you don't support that which keeps this country alive. Absolutely. So anyhow, folks, second, second topic, uh, there, there's something that I want to get to you. There's this meme going around that has people believing somehow that as soon as uh, Biden went into office, so a week after, all these memes and videos started going around. He's increasing the price of insulin, and then the liars come out with videos that say, oh, my insulin now costs me $2,000. Oh, my insulin is now costing me $300 a month. These are lies. These are the same type of techniques that were used against Obamacare. Folks, we have to do better. We have to make sure and tell the truth so that when these lies start coming in, we are ready to attack them. Because what happens is they they go unanswered, they're codified in people's minds, and that fallacy becomes truth. So what I'm going to ask you to do is this video that I'm showing, and I have it uh, at my YouTube segmented on its own. Please go ahead and make sure to share this because... I've seen about 10 of those videos just come into my uh, Twitter feed today. And what's scary about it is it came from places that, who knows, people that I'm not even following. So you know that this stuff is widespread and they're really, really investing into all of this. So let me play this for you and then we'll take it on the other side. 
I think there's a constitutional flaw. We are going to have to modify what's the definition of free speech. Recently, we have all these memes, uh, these short videos on YouTube, short videos on Twitter, where there are these people saying, oh my God, now that Biden is in power, he is causing, my insulin has just been increased. I'm now paying $300 a month. This other kid came out and said, I'm paying $2,000 a month. These guys are liars. They are liars, are more than likely paid actors to lie to you. And the problem about it is many people believe it. I want to show you two of these, just a clip of two of these, because I think it is utterly dangerous. Hi, everybody. So uh, I'm just having a little freak out in my car because I just found out that my f***ing diabetic supplies, like my insulin and my pump supplies, the things I need to live are costing $2,000 a month. I'm 24. I only just got out of college before COVID hit and I'm not making any good money. Now they're blaming Biden. 2020. When Trump was president, our monthly payment for Hayden's insulin, and insulin is not a negotiable product. Last year under Trump, our insulin payment went to $60 a month for this box. You know how much I paid for this one box of insulin? I paid $328. The lies that we hear on the internet, we have to really validate. Now, here is the fact check, the claim. President Joe Biden is reversing an executive order put in place by Donald Trump to reduce patient costs for insulin and epinephrine. By the way, the guy's been in office three weeks. These videos have been out for quite some time now. So it just shows you how the line occurs. The right wing are always on top of issues and they're always ready to go. And that's why we have to do our part. The National Association of Community Health Centers, among others, expressed support for the new administration move saying the Trump rule would not have lowered the cost of insulin and EpiPens for most Americans. So they're lying. These are actors, or, or more than likely, these are actors that are there spilling lies. The right-wing machine is always here. This is what they did during uh, Obamacare. This is what they did during all the policies that are there to be good for the middle class or the poor. They send out these actors to make believe, oh, you are in trouble, folks. That is why we need a true progressive independent media to counteract the crap that these guys come out with. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. Absolutely so, folks. Anyhow, uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get busy with the interview so that at the end we can have a little chat. Uh, I can answer whatever shows up in the chat. I notice a lot of our frequents aren't here today. I think they didn't get the message that we were going to start late, but that's okay. Uh, they'll pick it up later on tonight. But here is our interview with Rebecca Costa. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Today we have a special guest, a little bit out of the norm from Politics Done Right, but very, very important in these times of coronavirus, in these times of very 
difficult events. So let's go ahead and introduce you to Rebecca D. Costa is an American social biologist and futurist. What is that? She is the preeminent global expert on the subject of fast adaptation and recipient of the prestigious Edward O. Wilson Biodiversity Technology Award. Her career spans four decades of working with founders, executives, and venture capitalists in Silicon Valley. Costa's work has been featured in the New York Times, Washington Post, USA Today, The Guardian, and other leading publications. She presently serves on the advisory committee for the Lifeboat Foundation, along with futurist Ray Kurzweil and Nobel laureates Daniel Kaiman and Eric S. Maskin, Richard L. Roberts, and Wall Soyinka. Welcome to Politics Done Right. Rebecca Costa, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Well, I mean, uh, these are some interesting times, and we need to kind of look at the future right now. But before I say anything else, what the hell is a sociobiologist and futurist combined in one? What is that? Well, I, I started life as a sociobiologist, as basically looking for the evolutionary explanation for why societies behave the way they do. You know, we've been around the planet for several million years in one version or another. And it's interesting that that uh, modern man has formed societies to uh, accompanying certain instincts and proclivities that uh, human beings have. And so well, that's what we basically study. But uh, after college, I happened to plop into what was later to become Silicon Valley. There used to be a lot of orchards at where my parents lived and suddenly semiconductor and internet companies and you know everything were popping up and that's where I found employment and uh, after working in Silicon Valley for four decades uh, I had a pretty good perspective on being able to get out in front of change and see where the markets were headed see uh, where technology might uh, help humanity where new scientific developments were moving very very quickly and being commercialized and so even though the word futurist is not of my own making, that was something that was put on me because I wrote a book called The Watchman's Rattle and it, in it I forecasted in the same way that Alvin Toffler in Future Shock forecasted certain events were likely to occur. And many of those events are occurring in present time. And because of that, people started calling me a futurist, which was a bit funny, considering I had studied evolutionary biology. Well, <laughs> and I you was know, much I don't, more I, concerned I, I, about the past. Right. <laughs> well, I think I think if you're if you if you know how things evolve, you can probably see how they will evolve going forward as well. So I don't I don't I don't look at that as being eh, bad or anything like that. But let me. What what are some of the future the things that you have uh, found in your studies or in the things that you've come up with that you've actually seen actualized right now? Well, one of the things we know from past societies is that uh, there's a certain way that the person on the street begins to behave prior to unilateral collapse. That was true of the collapse of the Mayan society, the Romans, the Ming Empire, the Egyptian Empire. I became very interested in my first book at seeing not, not what the triggering event was, because historians have done a really good job of identifying what triggered the fall of the Romans, but I in how the society was behaving. And I came up with three telltale signs. The first being that day-to-day -day life became too complex for the average citizen to be able to make any sense out of. 
uh, contracts were too complicated, the monetary system, the places that they got water and food, they no longer understood. And so in general, it was very, very hard for the person on the street to navigate with any kind of rational capability. And that's where the second phase came in. The second phase was as a result of the complexity, the growing and mounting and exponentiating complexity, uh, what began to happen is people became confused about what was a fact, an empirically proven fact, and what was an unproven belief. The third stage is that, that those unproven beliefs make their way into public policy. And eventually public policy itself becomes irrational because leaders can't distinguish between an empirical proven fact and an unproven belief. And once those three steps have been uh, passed, those road signs, if you will, have been passed, the society is ready for some kind of unilateral massive correction. And by correction, I mean a collapse of institutional systems, a complete collapse. Because I had identified those steps, I had no idea Donald Trump was going to be elected and the stock market was going to do what it's doing. And and crypto uh, currency was going to you know, uh, uh, emerge. I didn't have an idea what the specifics were, but I did know that that general social trend was going to occur. And so everyone started saying, this woman understands what's happening to our society. She's gonna be able to predict what kind of unilateral collapse is going to occur. Um, and uh, you know, if I if I was such a great futurist, I could tell you what stocks to buy. So <laughs> no, well, actually, look. Uh, first of all, I think uh, what you've actually showed is that we are uh, not only in the second stage, but we're at the we are at the third stage. I would po I would posit, however, that we actually got there from um, from er much earlier. I'd, I'd posit that it's back in 1980. Uh, voodoo economics somehow we're going to do the mag these magical things with money and i mean so i, I would posit that it, it started then but i think it is I, I think you've you're on to something because what i think has happened is the realization of what you've just said because if we take a look at now people are looking at fake news as a thing in other words just like you describe when you can't describe change reality from fantasy fact from we reality. can't tell the difference most people cannot tell the difference between a fact and an opinion or something that they heard on the internet or saw on the news they're not able to distinguish that but it's more it goes deeper than that you go in and you sit down in front of a doctor and you have no idea if what the doctor's telling you is accurate or correct because you you don't have a medical degree you need you sit faith. down in front of your finance guy you don't understand. Now, the third stage where it moves into public policy, how is currency evaluated today? It, I mean, it you actually- know, It's political. It's political because it's not tied to gold. It's not tied to silver. It's not really tied to anything. It's fiat, yeah. Right? And, yes. and so if you look at that, that's too complicated for the average person to understand. And it actually, when you really, really are honest about it, it makes no sense. Right. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense. Uh, tariff policy makes no sense. The only the only tariff policy anybody who believes in in, uh, you know, a free market economics should believe in is that there should be just like nuclear disarmament. Every country should stop placing tariffs on anything. That's the free market. There right. should never be any tariffs. Tariffs are market manipulation. Right. So you're either in favor of free markets, in which case you're in favor of all countries stopping tariffs 
altogether. And and the consumer wins in that environment, by the way. Not really. So that's a pretty radical notion because we use tariffs. Tariffs is part of our tariffs. I, I'm going to challenge you there, um, Rebecca. I want to challenge you, Rebecca. Um, why is a, um, a tariff-free society work, in your opinion? Well, what do you think a tariff is? A tariff is actually putting out, it's a tax on something, right? It's a tax designed as a carrot or a stick. Right. Right? Yeah. We're going to put tariffs on incoming goods that compete with our own domestic production. Right. Right. So that we can be more competitive. We're going to we're going to put tariffs on goods uh, that are going to uh, nefarious countries and it, by, as, as a means of punishment. I, I mean, tariffs are, are political. You're I agree with you. One hundred percent political. They're not economic. I agree with you 100 uh, percent where, where, where I am concerned is I, I guess I, I guess what I, I am saying is I don't think there is anything that uh, where free markets can actually work and uh, that is that's that's my, my personal belief and I think you're absolutely right in that in that it's a political issue where and when tariffs are put on. Um, but when I'll you tell have you somebody should start a tariff disarmament mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, movement. Just like they have a nuclear disarmament movement, a movement toward all countries abandoning any tariffs of any type, because the real winner is the consumer. The really? consumer already, the internet has started that movement. When you think about it, right? I ought to be able to buy a product from any maker anywhere in the world that can give me the best product at the best price. That's true free markets. How does and the, the let, consumer wins? The consumer wins. I got to ask you a question, Miss uh, Costa. How does the how does it work for the average employee if that is the case? If, in other words, in a in a in a in a laissez-faire free market, how does it benefit the regular average citizen? I don't know if it it, it benefits the the okay, regular good. average citizen because. Because, you know, if you are working for a company, mm -hmm. which your uh, government is artificially propping up by putting tariffs on international competitors, then you're already, you know, you're going to be sustained for a very short amount of time because we have this thing called the internet mm -hmm. and we can look for products all over the world. So, so, you know, eventually you, you didn't, you weren't able to be competitive. You, you need to go out of business. If you can't compete in the world market, you can't compete. Well, what I, I actually, I, I, I and, and play Domestic with me here. Competition is the tip of the iceberg now. Say that it again. I'm sorry. Matter. Say that again. You need to compete on a global basis. The problem with competing on a global basis is you can't compete on a global basis with different political systems. Your thought on that? I, I, you know, I, I, I will go back to the only fair tariff is no tariff. Okay. So if you have political systems that say, you know, well, we're going to manipulate our domestic market through tariffs and we're going to manipulate our, our foreign, uh, you know, enemies and, and also our partners through tariffs, then you know maybe those people are going to sit out of the free market but i believe that that the best solution for consumers 
right? And the best solution to allow the best companies to do the best is to eliminate all tariffs by all countries. So there could be, we could just start with unilateral. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's go down your line. I mean, let's, go. Let, let's just, let's go to Europe. Those yeah. are our friends. We'll go to Europe and say, no more tariff on European goods and you don't tariff US goods. Let's see what happens. I want to break it out to the extreme, actually, because we are so close to Europe. I don't know if that, that's a problem. We could break tariffs with Europe and Canada and Mexico, and I don't think that would create a huge problem. But let's, well, let's go start with there. Let's yeah, start before, there. Let's have an agreement. Let, before that, though, I want to ask you something. Before we get into those machinations, I'd like you to explain to me where a country like, let's say, Vietnam, okay, who cares nothing about its water, its environment, or whatever, so they're their free marketeers can go ahead and pollute the rivers when they give us their shrimp and all of that. And we stay here in the United States and we have our shrimp producers as well. We can't produce a shrimp at the cost that they can produce the shrimp because we have uh, particular regulations as far as the pollutions that we can do. Isn't, isn't a tariff the, 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 the way to uh, even that playing field to prevent that from occurring? I, I love the words you use. Mm -hmm. They're fabulous. Even the playing field. Yes. It, it's, it's not evening the playing field. Let's, let's strip it to, let's strip it down to ugly words. Okay. It's punishing them. Punishing them then because, because uh, they don't abide by the same labor laws. Right. And because they're harming the environment. Right. So again, we're getting back to tariffs as punitive. Not not evening the, the 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 playing field, but as punitive. And I'll I'll give you that because of your policies. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Right? And I'll even right. I'll even use your nomenclature. I'll even use that. It's punitive. Should we be punitive in 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 a, in something of that nature? Some people believe that that is correct. We should punish companies or and, and countries, right? That are not helping the environment. Uh, and uh, and are ruining the environment, uh, and and we and if they are uh, you know have inhumane practices, uh, we should do that. But here is the question, right? And you and I weren't going to talk about terrorists, but we kind of got. I, I love well, you know, this is politics done right. When when all right, all right. So so let's let's finish this. Yes. Let's finish this. Here is the the million dollar questions. Yes. Are tariffs the correct way? to punish. You are the futurist, you tell me. And, and, and second to that, attached to that question, right, is do they work? Do, has there been any evidence whatsoever, any empirical evidence, because we started out unproven beliefs versus empirical, is there any empirical evidence that tariffs have forced people to take a better environmental stance, a healthier environmental stance, or to change their labor laws? I mean, do we have any evidence of that? Because if we I do, you, you have to show it to me. I think you have the answer to that already, don't you? You have the answer to that. And that is we probably- We put on Chinese goods and they're polluting more than ever. Because there are other markets that, that don't do what we do. In effect, look, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but in effect, what I'm seeing is, the only way we can have a, a, a true system is a one world government. I mean, that, that, the only way a real free market works is that if everybody are, everybody's playing under the particular 
uh, a particular set of political rules, legalities being the same. Isn't that true or not? I do not believe that, no. How is that not true? Is it, In fact, I, I find that to be about rather dangerous. I think it uh, is too. I, it I, is I, a very I, dangerous suggestion, and I, and I will explain why. Yes. Because in complex markets, uh, my, my area of specialization is high failure rate markets, mm-hmm. right? And, and uh, Wall Street, as an example, is a high failure rate market. Now, you're a very smart man. I'm sure you do not have all of your money on one stock. Uh, not at all. In fact, I have... I have, I have if, if you do, I hope it's GameStop. No, <laughs> actually that tanked. But here, here's, here's the problem. Right. And, and, and I, I, I just let me explain why you don't do that. Right. Because, because stabilization in a high failure rate complex environment requires diversification. Right. You buy some stocks, you buy some bonds, you buy some real estate and you hope if the bonds go down, the stocks go up. And if the real estate goes down, maybe the bonds go up. You know, you're 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 diversifying your investment. And the reason they tell you to diversify in your retirement portfolio is because you're dealing with a high failure rate environment like Wall Street, like the finance community. Okay, okay. now let's take the whole globe. To the extent that that Europe decided that they were going to go to the euro, I was one of the first futurists to say this is a disaster because diversity of currencies and diversity of economic systems stabilizes the overall global economic system. The more you consolidate, the more you depend on a single currency and a single form of uh, and type of government, the worse it gets, the more at risk of total unilateral failure you get to. And so sure, sure is my prediction. I said, all it's going to take is one country to submit funny books. And that country was Greece, followed by Italy, followed, and then the dominoes started falling, right? Because they were all dependent on one currency. Prior to World War II, when economies looked radically different, the German economy didn't look anything like the US economy or the economy in the UK, we had much more stable economic systems. It's the fact that we've been trying to move toward these uh, cooperative systems that really fights in the face of complexity and high failure rates. So my answer is, even though you might say everybody stop tariffs, I'm not saying join one world government or one economic system. I think the more diversity you have in nations, economic systems and economic policies, the better off the overall world is. Okay. Uh, let, the, I always look at an economic system and, and then we're going to go to the subjects that we're going to talk about. We're PPP and all that good stuff in a minute, but I just want to make my statement after your statement. I think our economic system, the economic, the Western economic system, capitalism, I think it is, uh, I could, I'm an engineer by training. I think I can prove that it's mathematically unsustainable, period, in, 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 my, in the research and in the number crunching that I know how to do. I think it's mathematically unsustainable. And when you, t- I think I agree with you that uh, in certain areas, diversity uh, uh, prevents a one, one point of failure. However, yeah. and, and I think that is, that is a very excellent thing when you have a complex system that you have one point of failure. I don't see the economy 
that I envision as a complex system, just like I don't see healthcare as a complex system, except where we want to have the gradations of income levels for people. What I mean by that, in other words, in, in, in crude terms, where one group of people, a small group, want to screw the majority of people to have a, 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 a bigger bang for the buck. Because like I've said all the time, um, if, we're, if we look at America right now, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in America. Bridges need to be built. Uh, airports need to be built. Uh, people need to be healthy. All these things need to be done. Are we short of people to do these things? No, we're not. So what is the limiting factor or economic system that says, wait, if we want to do that, we have to find a way to pay it. But wait a minute. There's work need to be done and people that need the job. There, there's no inflationary thing because there's not money chasing a whole bunch of stuff. So I have I've done a model in my head that says we have a flawed economic system, but I have to live within this economic system and you do as well. So let's go ahead and talk about this real economic system that you have been speaking about that says, hey, our government is screwing people and we need to do these four things. What are these four things we need to do? Well, first First of all, your, your listeners will find it very interesting that you're an engineer by training. I'm an evolutionary biologist and technology <laughs> and science futurist. And we're talking about so, uh, public policy. Imagine so, that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So I think we. I think the thing I need to say is we've got all the bases covered here, folks. <laughs> Listen to this podcast, tweet it, you know, get it out there because we got all the bases. Yes, covered. we do. And you know what? Uh, you're, let me just give you a kudos here. I love you. You make people think. In this first 22 minutes or so, and it's supposed to be 22 minutes, but we're going to do the full, the full Monty. Uh, listen to me. You make, you make people think. And I think it's important that that's going to make this particular episode quite interesting. Well, it, it's a funny thing that my friends are often really confused by me because when we're having big dinner parties, necessarily we get into these conversations and somebody will, you know, I'll argue a certain point, like the tariffs maybe, and someone will bring up some fact and I will immediately abandon my position if it's wrong. Mm -hmm. So while I'm, I'm very passionate, if you give me facts that prove that I'm wrong, I, I no longer try to defend myself. And that's and why we get along. It's confusing for some people. You know, they go, well, but five minutes ago you were saying this. And I said, yes, but you proved me wrong. That's what, why what we I get do? along. Hold on to the wrong position. It makes no sense. Um, so let's talk about the, the reason that we're having this conversation today. Uh, we have all the bases covered because while I don't normally talk about public policy in Washington, D.C., because of this past pandemic, I see us heading in a very, very dangerous uh, place just within the next six months. So I felt I, I, I don't, I usually do, you know, my forecasting two, five, 50 years out. So this was very different for me. But I, I imagined for a moment that the government had called me up and, uh, you know, and said, hey, you know, I want to, I want to talk to you. What, what's, what's on the horizon the next six months that we ought to have eyes on now that we could fix now. And I came up with four things. I'll, I'll tell you what they are. First, Unemployment benefits are taxable. Now, I call this a kick in the gut when people are down. 
The people that are unemployed aren't unemployed through their own fault. They're unemployed because we had a government shutdown. Their businesses shut down, their jobs went away. They got on unemployment. And a really interesting thing is gonna happen. Right about the time they get that alleged stimulus check, the government is going to get the stimulus back in the form of taxes on unemployment benefits, both federal and state. I, I find this to be such a ruse. It's a ruse to say the unemployed are getting stimulus because the people who need that stimulus the most are unemployed and they're going to be hit with a tax bill in April that they cannot pay and they will have to use the stimulus money. So, you know, this is kind of a, I'm, I'm going to give you the money as a government and now I'm going to take it back. And I, I just feel this is immoral and wrong and a very, very easy fix. All the government has to do, state and federal, is say unemployment benefits are not taxable for 20 and 21. Very simple fix. I think that ought to be a bipartisan uh, initiative that everybody could get on top of. Second thing, mortgages. People are six, eight months, a year behind in their mortgages and also their rents. Now, people find it very shocking that my grandmother in Japan, she had a 99-year mortgage. In Asia, it's not uncommon for them to give you 100-year and 99-year mortgages that your family can assume. Oh, okay, yeah. They're not trying to get you to pay your house off in 30 years or 15 years. That, to them, is just completely unrealistic. And so these people that are behind, this idea that they're going to, you know, eventually these moratoriums on evictions, and, and uh, uh, foreclosures, they're going to go away. And in fact, the more you extend them, the worse the situation gets for these people. How the interest right? continue to accumulate. Right. They're, they're accumulating interest. They're accumulating payments they can't make. And so we're headed toward massive foreclosures, all of the, you know, the subprime mortgage fiasco. We're headed in that direction all over again. Very simple remedy. I talked about this before the subprime mortgage uh, fiasco, and I'm talking about it a second time now, which does not make me particularly happy. But let me tell you what, what they need to do. They just simply need to make it possible without interest, without trying to sneak in any fees, you know, any, uh, I got your fees because I got you over a barrel and you can't do anything about it, but make it cost neutral for people to extend their mortgages out two, three, four years, and make up those payments on the back end. So no harm, no fault. This is really, really important because it leads us to the third problem. The third problem is your credit takes a whack. Now, when, you're, when your credit gets bad, it takes you years to dig out. And people who are unemployed and can't pay their taxes and the IRS are gonna lean their homes right, and lean their future paychecks. Once you can't pay your taxes, it's fair game. Number two, you're behind on mortgage payments. Those get reported to credit bureaus. You're probably behind on other credit card payments because you probably borrowed off of credit cards to stay alive. So now what's going to happen? Now your credit is going to go in the dumper. And now many employers check credit scores before they will hire a, a, an employee. So we got a dub, a piling on that begins to occur, right? Plus, 
in your credit card contract, you can check this, every credit card company has this, when your credit rating changes with Experian or one of the large companies, they're allowed to raise your interest rates on your credit card. So you, here you have borrowed to stay alive, borrowed maybe to pay your taxes on unemployment benefits. Your credit rating has gone bad. Now the credit card companies are allowed to raise it and there is no limit to what they can raise it. There is a credit card in South Dakota that charges 98%. You can look it up. There is no cap. There used to be usury laws in this country. They don't exist anymore. The last item is one to help stabilize small businesses. It doesn't help small businesses that they're sitting there waiting and wondering if there's going to be another payroll protection initiative. How long are they qualified? How much can they get? This does not help businesses. Businesses don't run well that way. They need to be able to plan. They need to be able to make sense of the future. And the only way to help them in these uncertain times is allow them to draw down on a government insured PPP line of credit. That way they, a, a very low interest, maybe zero interest. I'm not an economist, they could figure that out. But if you had a line of credit, businesses could draw down only what they needed right now and they could pay it back as they go. And that's in that way, they know that they have government insured cash to get themselves out of the hole for however long that's going to take. And that is a way that businesses can begin to take control back and begin to stabilize. So those are the four things. Make unemployment benefits not taxable, extend mortgage contracts, get a rein on credit bureaus and credit card companies who will raise interest rates based on changes in credit scores and PPP lines of credit rather than than, than these PPP1, PPP2. You know, uh, Congress should just Look, we're going to set up lines of credit for businesses. They can draw down what they need when they need it. Senator, Those are the things that are going to hit us in the in the next six months if we don't do these things. I think in the future we should be calling you Senator Costa. What, what, what do you think? <laughs> I would never want that title. <laughs> Actually, no. I mean, uh, that, those. Those, you know, I read, I read them when you, uh, you know, posted them, and I thought those were excellent points. And I think it, it does, it doesn't take rocket science to figure out that that is probably where we need to go. I tell you, earlier on, in uh, when the pandemic started and the government wanted uh, these these places to close, I was in complete agreement, and I said one thing. However, I think if a government asks a business to close, that they should make that they should put a not a pause, but it's a stop. It's like a frozen point in time. And when you open back up, you recover from that frozen point. Anything that needed to be taken care of in between should have been covered by the government who asked you to close. And I think, in effect, some of what you've just mentioned, in effect, does just, just that. So I think that is important. It is great to see uh, somebody that is stoked in uh, a, a capitalist model like you are show that adding these types of, what should we call them, uh, benefits actually makes it more stable your thoughts i i you know i'm a pragmatist you know i'm for simple elegant solutions that work that's all i really care about i i, I this has not served me well in my corporate career believe me i i am not good at politics mm -hmm. i'm not good at winning people over to my side i'm not good at at you know doing what's in my own interest 
What I'm good at is looking at what's the simplest, easiest thing that we absolutely know will produce this outcome. And, and that's what a scientist does. You know, they have a capability of doing critical thinking. And to that's my core, word. I'm just a scientist. I'm just a scientist that is looking at things and saying, look, we don't have to wait till people's tax bills are due. Right. We don't have to wait till credit card companies pile up on them. We don't have to wait for these problems to occur. We can nip them in the butt. Before it happens. We, we can fix them before they happen. Exactly. Now, uh, Mademoiselle Rebecca Costa, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I, have, I, I, I have no idea. Well, that, that is fine. Question. You got me stumped. <laughs> that is, I've got her stumped. Actually, what I, I always want to do that because there are times that you interview somebody and they said, gosh, I wish that person had asked me that. So that's, that's sort of a courtesy to the person that I'm interviewing. But look, I enjoyed our discussion. I enjoyed where you're going. Uh, I think philosophically, we... Uh, may have different economic paths, but I think uh, I, I love what you had to say. So um, thank you so kindly, Rebecca Costa, for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you. We spend well, I hope you enjoyed Rebecca Costa. Uh, I mean, I, I really enjoyed talking to her. Uh, you can see that she's a, a true market-type person, but it's good to have these conversations so you can hit different things off of each other. Anyway, let me go ahead and um, we don't have all our regulars here today. So I know we have Tank28, who is a devout follower. We have Nanette Bird-Smith. How you doing, Nanette Bird-Smith? We have Eric Hayes. Eric, how you doing? I need to talk to you about something, Eric, that you mentioned in a, in a message. I want to talk about that. Paul Fleming, ATL, checking in. My brother, welcome aboard. Uh, para ver quién más está aquí. Uh, let's see who else we have here. Um, e. Willie, somebody using me again. And then we are going to talk to, uh, I think I, oh, CK Escamilla, hermano mío, como estas? Great to see you here. Maureen Vasquez Lanza, bienvenido. And let's see, uh, Nanette Bird says, she makes so much sense, I must have a scientific problem solving mine. Yes, you have a scientific mine my friend anyhow um i want to eric earlier i, I, I want to get the message that eric put out to me before i get into my I, no before i do that i better go ahead and do my ask folks please if you are on youtube please consider hitting that join button to become a member of our pdr posse i don't see our pdr posse woman here today but uh, if you become part of our pdr posse you just click that join button. If you're not on YouTube right now, you still can become a part of our YouTube PDR Posse by going ahead and going to politicsunright.com slash YouTube, politicsunright.com slash YouTube. Alternatively, you can support us via Patreon. And how do you do that? You go to politicsunright.com slash Patreon, politicsunright.com slash Patreon, or PayPal. To do that, you go to politicsunright.com slash PayPal, politicsunright.com slash PayPal. Of course, I'd like for you, that book that you see on screen is called It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. In these times, what we want to do is, you know, we talk about uniting. You can only unite if you can communicate. Uh, we talk a whole lot about that in that book, how to, 
It's worth it how to talk to your right wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. You can get that again at the link that I just provided you. Uh, the, 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 or rather, well, I guess I better provide it. Here is the Amazon link to the book. Now, if you want to cut out the middleman, you can come directly to our store and buy it at politicsdoneright.com slash store. That cuts out the middleman. Uh, now, for those of you, uh, we have uh, uh, one of our members of the PDR Posse. Uh, her name is uh, <laughs> Bridge MCP. She designed this cup for us, and people have started to get the cup. Consider getting that cup as well. I'm going to put that link in the in, in the feed as well. That is the link for the cup. And whoops, let's see if I can get it in there. There we go for the link for the cup. And guess who got the cup? One of our members. There you go. That is uh, <laughs> Norman Reynolds. Yeah, I see you. Norman Reynolds. He went ahead and he said, I want to make sure Egberto know that I got the cup. And here is the cup that I'm drinking out of that cup that I got from you. Anyhow, so consider getting that, um, that, that cup to help, allowing us to move the message forward. Okay, let's see. Um, here is the deal. Earlier on, I, my good friend here, my conservative friend, uh, sent me a message. And uh, I, I, I don't think he, he minds me reading the gist of the message. I won't read it exactly. But in effect, I think he was trying to say that we need to stick with uh, natural gas. You know, and he said uh, natural gas burns clean and, and that sort of a thing. And he, he's, he thinks that we are crazy for going through with the new Green New Deal and all of that. Let's postulate here. Um, it is true that natural gas burns cleaner than a lot of other fossil fuels, specifically coal, specifically gasoline, specifically kerosene, etc. But it doesn't burn clean. It's the, it, whenever you, when, the, 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 the chemical reaction of carbon and oxygen is CO2 or CO, CO being carbon monoxide. And because these different gases have nitrites in them as well, they give you different nitrite levels into the air, NO2, NO whatever, okay? That's just a chemical fact. That is what you get when you burn hydrocarbons. So if you're going to, uh, you also mentioned in your comment that natural gas is used for a whole lot of things and we shouldn't stop producing natural gas. That is the misinterpretation of what we are saying that I think all of us need to get straight. We're not asking to stop drilling for petroleum. We're not asking to stop drilling for carbon. We're not asking to stop uh, exploiting natural gas. Let me correct that in this respect. There are a lot of non-carbon oxide polluting uh, uses of natural gas, of carbon, and of, uh, of oil to make Vaselines, to make uh, lubricants, to make medicines. Hydrocarbons are used for a lot of things. You don't have to burn hydrocarbon. Our issue is burning hydrocarbons for energy, meaning burning gas, burning coal, burning petroleum. That is what we don't want to do. But as far as making all the products, plastics and all these things, even though plastic, that's another story. Even though these things that we need require oil, we are not telling you not to use the oil to make them because you know what? They don't pollute the air. 
So it's okay to make them. When it comes to plastic, we need to start thinking about some sort of biodegradable plastic because it's going and destroying our ecosystem as it stands right now. There are too many false arguments out there. The Green New Deal is an employing boom, boom. It's, a, it's like a huge employment boom. But I want to tell you something specific as well. When would you want to make the transition? Our fossil fuels are finite based on the amount of how, based on how we use it. And, and, I, and I'm qualifying that. How did fossil fuels get there? It's a decay of thousands of trees, thousands of animals, etc. over time. And, but it's on a very slow rate base compared to how we burn it. So we can burn oil much faster than oil can be replenished. So it's an exhaustible resource. However, green energy isn't. And the misinformation that people would tell you all of the times like, oh, green energy, what happens when the wind stops blowing? What happens when the sun stops shining at night on a cloudy day? I mean... <coughs> What happened when uh, the sun stopped shining? The plants, the, the oil that you burn is a battery because it's a storage of, of sunlight from millions of years ago. That's what your oil that you're burning is because it's a plant that took the, 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 the energy from the sun, died, turned into oil. Well, we can do the same thing with the sun, but we are the plant now. There used to be sun, plant, decay, millions of years oil. We can remove the transition to oil and use the sun directly. And then you say, but then how do we store it? Right now, the natural way of storing it is in the form of oil. We can also store the sun in batteries. Not only, every, anytime we talk about batteries, people think about, oh, you're going to have to use a nickel metal hydride battery. Or some people may think about, oh, you may have to use a, 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 a um, what's that other kind of battery? A uh, uh, Sil not silica, uh, you may have to use uh, you know, like the, the batteries that they dig up, the, those special types of things. Well, that's not the problem. The problem is you can also use water as a battery. You can create a lake as a battery. It's very, very easy to create batteries to store excess energy from the sun, from the wind, and all these places... And there, that energy will be there to be used when the sun isn't shining or the wind isn't blowing. Just like the sun isn't shining all the time when you're using your gasoline, which is a battery. Now, Herrick Hay says gradual change and U.S. has over 200-year supply or so. But you're missing the point, Eric. We cannot burn all the carbon that we have in the ground and not change the climate drastically, meaning big hurricanes, etc. That's the problem. Uh, we could say we have a we could we could optimize the transition to green energy with the depletion of carbon if those were the two factors that we had to think about only but those are not the only two factors we must think about we must think about uh, burning carbon means throwing that into the air throwing that into the air means climate change and that's the reason why in as much as we have 200 years or more supply of carbon, it's not something that makes sense to use. Not because it's there means we should use it. 
Just like we're not going to use every piece of iron in the ground. We won't. Do you take account into account our carbon print in emails, calls, internet? Yes, we do. Yes, of course. Of course. The thing about it is to start where we get the biggest bang for the buck. That is where we want to start. Uh, Lee Grant says the Green New Deal is like a watermelon. Green on the outside, but commie red on the inside. <laughs> you know that's why I love you, love you, right, Lee? You make some funny jokes. No, it's not. It's green. It's all green. Give power to Russia and China and others who have more Knox burns than the U.S. Actually, believe it or not, that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. Just as long as you have the surplus power coming from green. Anyhow, folks, we are at the end of the deal, and we need to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics on Right, and you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.